Christy's going to read our scripture for today. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14, and 33 through 36. As Jesus came out of the temple and was going away, his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. He then asked them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of age? Jesus answered them, Beware that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, and the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. And they will hand you over to be tortured, and will put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead them astray. And because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Christy. I can remember in the early days of the pandemic, it's not exactly a fun time to think back to, but I can remember the early days in the pandemic, like uh, April and early May, just trying to work on some of the things that I was responsible for, like uh, I was finishing up the semester for my seminary studies and also trying to write a message, you know, to share on Sunday. And I just remember at that time it felt so, there was so much anxiety and fear and uncertainty. I remember trying to focus during that time. And it felt like I was trying to do all that work while my neighbor's house or garage was like burning down out my window. That's what it felt like inside, you know, it's just, so hard to focus and, and so hard to concentrate, and it took all my energy and attention away. That's what the fear and uncertainty was doing in my heart, and it made it very difficult to commit to my values and my priorities at the time. It made it super hard. I, I don't know if you can remember back to that time. Maybe you felt the same way. Maybe you felt like just like this draw, this pull to find the latest update about what's going on or to talk to somebody about it and to, to explore 
what you were going through. Isn't it interesting how we're drawn to, as humans, our attention is drawn to what we're most afraid of. You ever notice that? That it's hard not to pay attention to it. It's hard not to look at it. And this is where worry and anxiety comes from, that we're just drawn to those things that generate fear and uncertainty to us or within us. Think about it in a practical sense, like when you're driving to Mankato or somewhere else and maybe there's a car accident and everybody's slowing down because why? They want to get a look. They want to look and see what happened. Even though if it's bad, you don't really want to see it. But for some reason, everyone wants to take a look and see what's going on. And the same is true, probably even more powerful, when news breaks of war or violence or something shocking and it just generates a lot of fear and anxiety within your heart. It's so hard to not investigate and look into it and say, what's going on? This is the truth that in the face of uncertainty, humans try to find certainty. It's what we strive for when things feel even more uncertain. We try to find certainty and make sense and somehow gain control over what's happening in our lives and to somehow be prepared and maybe protect ourselves, which is a God-given desire and, and impulse. But if we're not careful and intentional, we can, be, we can become consumed by the circumstances of our lives and of our day. That anxiety and fear can take over our hearts. And pretty soon we don't feel connected to God or to other people and we can become paralyzed. Stuck is how I felt oftentimes. And I talked to other pastors and they felt paralyzed, not knowing what to do or how to even connect with God or other people during the times that we find ourselves in. And we can isolate uh, when we're controlled by uh, the fear and, and uncertainty of our time. And now while the intensity of the pandemic has waned, I think we would all agree on that, there is a continued flow, a continued stream of shocking and anxiety and fear-invoking phenomenons throughout the world. Would you agree with that? It seems like it's nonstop. I'll give you just a couple examples of the, the most recent supply chain shortages or the uh, immigration crises or racism or divisive issues, uh, addictions and all the, everything is like a pandemic now. They say this is the pandemic of mental health or this is the pandemic of addictions or, or whatever. It's just one after another and it just generates uh, all this fear within us and especially war and threats of war. Like everything that's happening in the Middle East right now and particularly in Israel and Jerusalem and, and uh, Palestine. You just wonder... Is this going to explode into something else? And that really gets us worked up on the inside. I mean, because that is about as scary as it gets. Something like World War III. War and threats of war, which sounds like exactly like the text that we read. Jesus says that this will be one of the signs, doesn't He? When Jesus and His disciples were in Jerusalem near the end of His earthly ministry, this is near the end of His ministry when He's about to be betrayed and crucified and and then later ascended into heaven, he drops this bomb on his disciples. It would have been a, a bomb about what was going to happen. This is what he says. The text says, As Jesus came to the temple and was going away, his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. They're saying, look, look here. And, they said, and they, then he asked them, Jesus asked his disciples, You see all these, don't, do you not? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here upon another. All of these will be thrown down. Now this would have been shocking. This would have stirred up a lot of fear and anxiety. We can underestimate the significance of the temple 
of, uh, for, for these people because we have, like how often we talk about it, we have six churches in this town. It's no big deal to have all kinds of churches. And if one goes away, that's sad, but it's not a big deal. For, <laughs> for Jerusalem, this was the place to connect with God. And they thought that God's temple was, uh, was invincible. Why would they think that? Well, first of all, it's God's temple, the God of the universe, the one true God. And also, in a practical sense, I didn't know this until this week, that the blocks, some of the blocks of the foundation for the temple were 40 feet wide. That's huge. I, unfathomable, really. And 400 tons. So yeah, no wonder that they <laughs> thought that this temple was uh, invincible. So this news that Jesus was dropping on his disciples would have been shocking stirring up all kinds of anxiety and speculation and fear in the face of uncertainty. So the disciples were human, like us. If I can remind you of that, this is a real story with real people. And they're, so they're very, they're very much like us. And so after they had some time to think, they asked Jesus, like we would want to ask Jesus, uh, could you tell us when this is all going to happen? <laughs> It'd be nice to know. When is this going to happen? And, and what, are, what are the signs going to be? How will we know? Well, why would the disciples want to know that? Why would they ask this of Jesus? Well, they're trying to understand and find certainty and control to be prepared for uh, what would happen as a way to calm their fear and anxiety, just like us, just like us today. And at the very least, they would be curious about uh, this major event that Jesus said would unfold. And so Jesus replies to their question, of course, like Jesus always does, not with a clear, concise answer of like, well, you know, next spring, you know, when the, all the leaves come out, that's about when it's going to happen. No, Jesus replies with a very long teaching. We didn't even read the whole thing. Beginning with a warning. He says, beware, a caution, beware that no one leads you astray. See to it that you're not alarmed. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't be reactive. Don't just get drawn into other people's reactivity. Don't be reactive. He gives many descriptions about what the end of the age will be like so that the disciples can be aware and notice when these things are happening. Jesus does not deny that those days will come. He doesn't say this isn't going to happen. Don't worry about it. Instead, He reminds them to endure till the end and to continue focusing on proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Until the end, he says, this is your purpose. This is what you should focus on. Don't focus on trying to understand and gain certainty so that you can know and be prepared for exactly what's going to happen. Focus on proclaiming the good news. That's your job. Focus on this until the end and do what you need to do to endure this time. Then he continues with many more descriptions of the suffering uh, that will come and the signs of the end times. And in case there was any doubt, Jesus makes it very clear that these events and signs will come to pass. He says there's no doubt about it. But there are two very important contrasts here within this text. Did you catch these? Jesus says there is hope because though heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says my words will never pass away. And Jesus is communicating this truth that there is hope no matter what is happening because Jesus is an eternal God who is inviting us to spend eternity with Him. And that kingdom, God's kingdom, the eternal God, the one true God of the universe, 
He's bringing that kingdom in right here and right now. And this is what we have to go through. So don't freak out. Don't give up on God. Don't quit. Keep, keep enduring. And the good news is that there is hope because Jesus is the one true God, the eternal God. And he also says no one knows when any of this will happen. Not even Jesus. He, <laughs> it's like he knows that the disciples are going to get hung up on this or that disciples in future generations will get hung up on trying to predict when this stuff is going to happen. Jesus says uh, in verse 36, but about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Let me repeat that. No one knows. Just in case you're wondering, not even Jesus knows. <laughs> so if there's somebody online that's telling you, I know that this is when it's coming. I'll be honest with you, I got wrapped into the whole 2012 thing when they said that the Mayans calendar was ending and that was going to be the end of the world. You know, I was still pretty new in my discipleship journey. and like, maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe they knew something that we don't know. And, and I really started to wonder what would, if that was true. But now I'm leaning into this fact of what Jesus says, this truth that Jesus tells his disciples and is still true for us, that no one knows when this time will come. Finally, Jesus is getting at the root of their question, and he tells them, you can't know because I don't even know. But still they're left with the impulse that we all have of saying, well, what can we do then? We are people who want to respond to the things that we don't feel good about. We want to act. We want to do something. Jesus says, this is what you can do. Be aware of these realities, but don't put your energy into trying to gain certainty because that is impossible. And so it's interesting that, um, you know, Jesus after that time, he's betrayed, he's crucified, he suffers. Uh, he dies on the cross for our sins, and then later we read about how he appears to the disciples, and we read about that in the book of Acts at the very beginning, and then he's about to ascend into heaven. And so from the disciples' perspective, you'd think they'd be pretty excited. You know, okay, here he is, he's back. Okay, we can start to trust everything that he's saying, and, and this is what we read in verse 6. So when they had come together, the disciples, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time? <laughs> Is, this, is it happening now? Is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? See, again, they're still hoping that he's going to fulfill the messianic prophecy that Jesus would come and, and, and put Israel back in its proper place. You know, to, to regain control and power in the area. And Jesus replies, what do you think he says? It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by His own authority. And here's an important contrast. But, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses. You will be My witnesses. Now there's two roles for a witness. One is to observe what happens and also then to share the story of what's happened. So we notice what's happening in our church or with our community of believers, people who are giving their heart and soul and mind to Jesus. We witness that. And then we go out and bring a witness to others who don't know anything about God. 
who don't know anything about Jesus. I'm meeting more and more people all the time. Just yesterday, a self-proclaimed agnostic teenager. And the person told me they know absolutely nothing about God. They think there could be a God, but they don't believe in our God. So think about that for a second. They've not heard any stories about Jesus. That's someone from our area. So that's where we're at, friends. And Jesus says that we will be the witnesses, first, that we experience what the Holy Spirit is doing among us and within us, and then we share that reality with other people in our own words. In our own words and in our own way. And unfortunately, it takes... What do you think it takes? Vulnerability is... That's essential. And it takes time. Unfortunately, we can't, it's not effective to go on the corner and use a bullhorn and say, <laughs> repent or perish. You know, people just go, whatever. You know, they're not, they're not intimidated by, like we used to be intimidated or scared of hell or, you know, punishment. Nobody in today's generations is scared of that. It's not a motivator for them. But you know what is compelling? When we tell them, this is what Jesus did in my life. This is what God revealed to me today. This is what God did when I was praying about this situation and then all of a sudden I saw some signs that God was, was speaking to my heart. And if, we don't, if we're not that witness, there's no one else. There's no one else. They're not looking it up and trying to research you know, what's going on about Jesus. <laughs> They're not doing that. Jesus knows, friends, how difficult it is for us to live with uncertainty, especially in this time. And we can continually strive to understand and we're tempted to try to control or to be prepared for whatever may happen. And then when we live this way, we actually lose the peace and the serenity and the meaning and purpose that Jesus wants for us, that He invites us into. Jesus calls us and invites us into a life of faith in Him. Instead of are giving into our fears of events or circumstances and being ruled by that anxiety and that fear and that wanting to know when and how it's all going to happen. Remember that Jesus says, you cannot, I cannot serve two masters. It's impossible. We cannot follow Jesus and give our hearts to Him and also be driven by our fears and anxieties. We have to give those up to God. We have to surrender those to God. So what can we do then? How can we live this? Jesus goes on to say things like, keep awake. Remember at the beginning of our service, we read, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. We're we're sleeping so often on autopilot. Jesus says, keep awake. You must be ready. And then adding to what He'd already said, He says, beware and endure till the end. Don't be fooled. Friends, that means that we can choose to respond We can respond with faith in the face of our fears rather than react. Rather than get sucked in and pulled in to the things that we're afraid of when events or circumstances disturb us. And in a practical sense, these words involve abiding with Jesus or staying with Jesus in our our heart, mind, and soul. Relying upon Him for courage and wisdom and encouragement. So we can commit to the practices that open us to God's presence and action. So these are the things that are essential if we want to respond with faith rather than become reactive 
to our fears and anxieties. Things like uh, reading the Word or having some exposure to the Word, to the truth. Saying, how can I take in even just little bite-sized chunks of this? You can get an alert to your phone from the Bible app that just gives you one verse per day. Focus on that. Or take one of the, ver- the passages of Scripture that we read together and just look at it several times throughout the week and saying, God, help me to see what I can't see on my own. We can open ourselves to, to God's Spirit by practicing stillness and slowing. By taking times not to be naive of what's going on in the world, but taking times to unplug from all the stimulation of our brain and plugging into the anxiety of the 24-hour news cycle. Let's just unplug from all that for a little bit and sit with God and see what God might speak to the still heart that we have. Prayer and serving are all ways that we can open ourselves to what, God, what only God can give us. And we can expect that God will work within our hearts and help us to recognize Jesus' presence and action in our life. That the more we commit to these practices, the more we'll become attuned to what God is doing. We recognize, oh yeah, that was the Holy Spirit working in my life. That wasn't just me getting lucky, that was actually God answering a prayer. And we can grow in knowledge of truth and ability to discern what truth is. We can endure in faithfulness to God, with, which implies action. It implies living, not hiding or being apathetic to what's happening in our world. And then also not allowing ourselves to be overcome with fear and anxiety and hopelessness. Again, no one can serve two masters. This is how we can live so that we can be ready. Here's a way that we can think about it. It's like, uh, how many Vikings fans? I know we have some Vikings fans in the room. All of you are pretty familiar with football, right? You know that for most positions, they have a backup. And the most important backup on the field is the quarterback. Right? Do you remember a few games ago for the Vikings when all of a sudden Kirk Cousins goes down and you know, everybody's really afraid of what's going to happen? And Jaron Hall, the rookie, comes in <laughs> into a high-pressure situation uh, facing a rival on the road in a game where they're ahead, so you'd think, well, at least we're ahead, but a lot of pressure to keep that lead and win that game, right? So Jaron Hall, as the backup quarterback, knows nothing about when or if he'll ever get into the game. He knows absolutely nothing about that, and if he were to focus on that, he would not be a good backup quarterback. If he said, well, you know, hopefully Kirk goes down so I can play, because actually I'm pretty good, (laughs) you know? That's not a good teammate. That's not a good quarterback. Or if he started to get bitter and complain to his friends or say, you know, well, what I would do if I were in the game is I would have thrown a touchdown there. Or the co- you know, and we can get pulled into so much of that, just focusing on things that we cannot control at all. But instead, an effective backup quarterback does what? They prepare in the way that they know how to prepare. They commit to the practices that they know are essential for being as good as they can possibly be. And then they let go of the rest. They commit to those practices so that they can be ready to step into the game. Just to get in there and do as best as they can. Then they have to let go of all the what-ifs or focusing on other people or blaming or predicting or negativity or self-pity. Just be a good teammate this is all you have to do. Jaron, this is what I'd tell him if I was a coach. It never happened. 
Be a good teammate. Be ready. That's it. Well, what about? Nope. What did I say? Be ready. Do what you need to do. Friends, that's what God invites us into in all of this uncertainty that we're facing and all the things that I'm, I'm honest. It's scary to me too. And I think about, you know, what will that be like if this happens or that happens? You know, and I ask God, God, help me to know how I can be ready. And I'm grateful that during that time when I felt like the neighbor's house was burning down, which it clearly it was absolutely not happening like that, I had someone in my life who was saying, this is a time where you should double down on your spiritual practices. Don't, don't neglect them. Don't turn away from those practices that will help you to be ready. Double down on those things. Make more space for them. And I'm telling you, that's a really hard shift to make. But now some of the things that you're seeing from me as, as your pastor are the fruit of that encouragement. And that's what I'm trying to help you to see today, friends, that we must, we must continue to prioritize these practices that open us to God's Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit of Jesus, there is no hope. Because we don't have the wisdom or the courage or the strength to face the different things that are happening, even in our community. As I saw the, the Facebook group uh, controversy that was happening in our community this past week over the books and everything, I was thinking, Lord, have mercy. Because now the, the chaos and the, the lies and the uh, confrontational behavior is happening right in our school district, right in our small town. And I said to myself and, and to God, like, God, what do you want me to do? How can I act? And what are the things I need to let go of? Because there are times, just a quick aside about Facebook groups, there are times when you don't need to read everybody's comments and you can just choose to not look at all that stuff. Okay? And sometimes, maybe there is something that we can do. Maybe sometimes people are being unfairly attacked and need to be stood up for. Or maybe sometimes we need to stand up for truth. But God never calls us to have a confrontational kind of posture and attitude. But to instead speak truth with compassion and grace. And I know, friends, that each of us have other situations in our life that we would like to have certainty about. Or would desperately like to change. Big situations across the world or within our community like I just mentioned or our work, or family. But we can take these spiritual principles that we've been talking about and apply them to everything in life and to ask God to help us to let go or detach from worry and fear and anxiety and focus all that energy and attention into abiding with Jesus and acting in the way that God invites us to act. In other words, be ready. So when you become disturbed by an event or your circumstances or the news, Here's some things you can do. First of all, notice what's happening. What am I feeling? Am I feeling like, am I kind of going numb with anger as I'm reading something on the internet or someone says something I don't like? Let's pay attention to that. Maybe a good thing to do in that moment is to slow down, to, to pause, to take a step back before responding. Or reacting, really, is what that would be. Slow it down. Writing helps a lot. Journaling helps me. Oftentimes, I write out the things that I feel powerless over. 
here are the things that I'm powerless over today. And this is what me thinking I have power over it is doing to me. <laughs> this is what it's doing to me. And then I say, this is what I'm needing God to do, and I, I turn it into a prayer. That's one thing that can help to slow it down. Centering prayer can help, like we practice in, within worship. Just sitting with God. Going for a walk and, and letting God speak through our senses. Choosing to respond to whatever's happening with faith instead of reacting with fear. And asking God for courage and wisdom and discernment. And I, I, I believe that God answers those prayers every time that we ask. Every time. God, give me courage. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Give me grace to show compassion to this person. To love my enemies. God answers those prayers regularly when we have an open heart. Saying to God, uh, God, what do you say? What are you up to in this situation? What might I need to let go of? What are you inviting me into? What can I do? How can I live? That's the life of following Jesus in these uncertain times. That's what we're up against. That's, that's the life that Jesus invites us into. Remember, no one knows. No one. Not even Jesus. Now, I want to show you this. I think this is a, a really simple way. This was a powerful little equation that was given to me by that same person I mentioned that's been influential in my life. And this comes from a guy named Viktor Frankl who uh, survived a concentration camp in World War II. He was a young man during that time. And he said most people that he, was, that he knew didn't survive. And part of the reason that they didn't survive is because they would always have hope that they would be freed by Christmas. Or for them it would be Hanukkah. You know, well, hopefully we'll be freed by that time and then the thing that they were hoping for wouldn't happen, and they would lose hope, and they'd be devastated, and so they lost the will to live. Viktor Frankl decided, I'm going to find purpose and meaning within the suffering, and that's going to be what drives me and what gives me hope, is that after I get out of here, I'll turn this into a way to help uh, people all across the world, and he did. He became a psychiatrist, or a psychologist, I don't remember, and wrote a book Man's, man's, uh, man's Search for Meaning. Powerful book. So he says, Viktor Frankl says, event plus response, however you respond, or you could say that's also react, equals growth. So event is whatever happens in your life. It could be a small thing. A uh, uh, controversial statement by your pastor in a sermon. <laughs> however you respond to that is going to, be what determines your growth. And you can grow in a, a deepening, maturing way in your faith, or you can grow you know, the other direction and becoming you know, bitter or cynical or, or even more fearful and anxious. So response is key. So event can be anything. It can be small things and it can be big things. Response is key. And what do you think are in here for followers of Jesus, for responses? Prayer? Yes. Respond with prayer. Trust? Very good. Anybody else want to show courage and shout one out? Faith? Yeah, that's kind of like trust. There's all sorts of things here. You know, unplug, uh, stillness, like I said, journaling. Uh, call somebody, call a friend and ask for prayer. Talk about it. Uh, things like confession that we don't actually talk about. God, forgive me for having this posture towards another person. 
God, help me to see. You know, that's, that falls in line with prayer. All sorts of things right there. But this category is what will determine the quality of your life and will what will either make you a compelling witness for people who don't know Jesus, don't know anything about God, it either make you a compelling witness to them or just continue their pathway of indifference because they say, well, that Christian doesn't respond any different than I do. So why, you know, what's the difference? And I'm not, I'm just saying that's just the reality. I'm not saying, sharing any judgment on anybody or anything. But this is, this is what we can live into. And I think about this probably three times a week since that time, or 2020. It's just a powerful way of thinking about it. Event plus response equals growth. And in the Christian journey, we talk about growing in Christ-likeness. So every event, every circumstance that we come across, especially the hard ones, is an opportunity to mature in our faith in God. We have to let go of the things that we can't control. And so today, I'd like to close with one of my favorite prayers. This was one of Georgia's favorite prayers too, by the way. Those of you who knew Georgia. This is the serenity prayer. And I'm going to pray the entire serenity prayer. This is the full serenity prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr. This got chopped into a third just for the sake of um, being able to repeat it easily. So I invite you to a posture of prayer as we close with the serenity prayer. God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Courage to change the things which should be changed. And the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as the pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.